Welcome, everybody, to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, our special guest is Adam Robital. Adam, thank you so much for being on our show. Writer, director, editor, and just overall filmmaker. Thank you for being here. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. It's my pleasure, and I'm excited to be here and talk to you guys. Absolutely. It is our pleasure to talk to you. Let's just go through, before we get started, your greatest hits, okay? In 2014, you wrote, directed, The Taking of Deborah Logan, excellent film. Uh, by the way, Jill Larson was a guest of ours. What a nice lady. Uh, she's so cool. Amazing. Uh, next, in 2015, you wrote the Paranormal Activity Ghost Dimension, where we got to see sort of the ending for our friendly demon, Toby, and how he ended up. Then came Insidious, The Last Key, also a conclusion to the Insidious franchise as of now. Uh, then you went on to direct Escape Room 1 and 2, uh, two being Tournament of Champions. Uh, and basically your movies, and this is nothing to shy away from, your movies have grossed hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So congratulations. That obviously is not an easy feat. Are you satisfied with all the success that you've had that you have now earned your Hollywood cred, so to say, and you've gained the respect uh, in the filmmaking industry to where people, you get approached a lot, people wanting you to direct or write and so on? Yeah, look, I'm I'm really grateful that the movies have had success. I think Insidious was such a huge franchise already, so I didn't have much to do with, uh, you know, a massive train that was already moving. Um, but I was I was really excited that Escape Room did as well as it did the first one at least. Uh, and um, but you know, I think I think I'm in a place now where I want to do things that are more personal. You know, I think in my in some ways my first film is the film I'm still most proud of, the taping of Deborah Logan. You know, when you get up into the sort of commercial studio movies, they become less personal yeah. uh, and they they sort of cater to the the four quadrant common denominator so you can't like i'm really excited to do a rated r movie again because it's like how many times can you say freaking yeah, in a movie exactly uh, now let's go to the beginning the taking of deborah logan uh you, like i said you wrote it you directed it it was your baby uh it was a great film a found footage film how did you get the inspiration for deborah logan uh you know i I always try to go to the things that scare me personally. And I had an uncle who had had Alzheimer's and I just remember being a kid and hearing stories like he, he ended up falling out of a window. That's how he died. And um, so I remember just, and, and just how vacant he looked in the nursing home. And so as a kid, I was definitely terrified of that. And when I was mounting my first film, I thought, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to make a found footage movie. They're cheap, Well, what can I do? you know, that hasn't been done. And I, I thought like, what about a medically grounded uh, documentary that then permutates into a horror film? And I had seen, there was this amazing uh, clip of a woman, I think it was like a nightline or like 60 minutes. And she had early onset Alzheimer's and she was, you know, she was young, she was like 50 years old. And she was talking about losing her, her memory yeah. and she was writing notes on, notes on mirrors and stuff. And then it cut to the same woman a year later. And she's like, she's in an adult high chair 
Her skin is the color of snow. She doesn't recognize her husband, her daughters. It, it, it was so clear to me that that was, that's a horror movie in it itself, you know? And so, yeah, and I started doing research and found that it's not just about the, the patient, it's about the caregiver. It's the person who loves, you know, the victim who is watching this person slowly disappear be, before their very eyes. Absolutely. So I was really, yeah. So that, that was it. It was initially it was my uncle. And then it was a lot of the research that I did that just further solidified that this was something I wanted to explore. Is that why in the film, the documentary maker, the, the female lead, not the lead, but the female documentary maker, she was doing this as part of her project for school, but she also had experienced uh, a family member, if I'm remembering correctly, who had suffered dementia. And that's what led her to do the documentary on dementia. Is that why you, you wrote that in there? Yeah, I think you always want a protagonist who has some stakes in the game and some 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 way into a movie where it's going to mean something for the protagonist. So it uh, certainly was on purpose. Yeah. Now, how how hard was it for you to find the Deborah Logan that you wanted us to see on the screen? You know, look, we we saw some amazing actors and actresses uh, for 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 Jill's role. I mean, we saw the creme de la creme of you know of uh, sophisticated older actresses, and um, Jill was the only person who came in and was able to give that sort of like really sweet, you know, give you a cookie grandma thing, but then lean forward and turn, you know what I mean? And like literally just own the possession in a way that was so scary. I remember I remember distinctly like the producers in one of the uh, auditioning, uh, in one of the auditions, literally leaning back, like recoiling, you know, as she as she performed in front of us. And she she's really striking. She's a, she's a beautiful woman, but she also has this incredible face that under the right light can be, you know, intimidating. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, she was in Shutter Island. She's very iconic moment in Shutter Island where she's that older woman who goes, mm -hmm. you know, and I just remember, wow, I, I remember that image had burned my retinas. So she, she was she just came in and crushed it. You know, we brought her in again with Ann Ramsey and they did like a chemistry read and um it was a you know no in 20 years there. it was a no-brainer and what's interesting is she's never seen a horror movie yeah you know yeah she told she, me that she all, <laughs> yeah she did all this soap work um but so she i knew she was good at like lots of material on a daily basis uh but she so she totally trusted me you know and i i had her do crazy things and she just she kind of like let me embrace her and walk her through things that sometimes as an actor like you it's like, why am I naked in this attic right now? Like stabbing, uh, you know, answering machines with my, you know, so I had to walk her through certain things. I think it, it took a lot of her getting into her body and being much more of like a, just a physical actor and just not thinking about the text so yeah. much as opposed to just inhabiting it. So she, she was incredible. And Anne Ramsey, you know, was just as good. I mean, she came in and just she had this incredible character face you know you felt like she had struggled with the bottle and felt like her mother had rejected her mm -hmm. and and the two of them together you have jill is so sort of refined and sophisticated and probably is watching martha stewart and and you you could feel like she probably was out drinking in her youth and having a crazy time so it really was a good balance between the two of them absolutely 
if you look at your writing uh, in, in the films, let's take Paranormal Activity, Ghost Dimension, oh. and The Taking of Deborah Logan. Uh, the uh, ending of your writing, you sort of go against the grain and evil wins. Like with Ghost Dimension, Toby the Demon, he the buildup was happening for many movies before he came into this world. Was that your idea or did the studio want the movie to end that way? Look, I, Ghost Dimension was a really weird situation where they had been shooting the movie for a year and um, another pair of a team of writers had been working on it for a year and no fault of their own. The studio chief was deeply involved in story. And so by the time my writing partner and I got there, it was a mess. Um, and so we literally, that was like a couple of week job where we had to come in and sort of like do triage just to make the movie frankly make sense. Yeah. Uh, but I, am not going to take any credit or I, you know, it's like, it looks like I've killed a franchise or two, but, um, you know, ghost dimension was tough and they had all these different competing ideas. There's a, there's a camera that can see ghosts. There's a little girl who might be like the key to the coven. And she's also astral, astral projecting. It was very complicated. And so we like the most really we just tried to, you know, we were like, and, and the problem with supernatural movies, right, is only two ways you can end a supernatural movie. Usually it's like either it's going to be an exorcism scene or some version of like trapping a demon, right? Like yeah. it's like so. So it was it was it wasn't an ideal situation. I think what, what they did a lot of cool stuff. I mean, you know, it's like when you have a found footage movie that has ILM doing your visual effects uh it's pretty crazy but i think they had gone the they they got big the movies got got bigger as opposed to kind of i think the big problem if i'm speaking out of school right now because it's like you know it's been enough time away from it but they didn't they kept trying to redo the same thing that the first movie did the movie the, the first film caught lightning in a bottle mm -hmm. and i think the like the studio naturally i experienced this with escape room I tried to do something different with Escape Room 2 and, you know, but they, the studio wants a, a movie works. They want the same thing again yeah. and again and again. Like They don't want to deviate. And I think, you know, with Paranormal, like I would have personally, if I was steering that, I would have gone in and like the, the second movie would have been, you know, police cameras and like like some forensics, like a different way in using the same kind of gags, yeah. but like you know, by the third movie, when you're just walking around a house and things are, you know, and I, cold spots. I 100% agree with you. I was thinking about this before we started tonight. And I'm like, gee, the paranormal movies, how, how are we going to phrase that? And you hit the nail on the head. I had the, th the same thought. They made it too complicated. Now, I don't know if you saw yeah. the reboot of the franchise that came out last year. Uh, they sort of went back to basics. They uh, they went back to originality, keeping it simple, about on a farm, an Amish farm, I believe. Just goes, yeah, yeah. And, and it worked. It was a good movie uh, because they went back to the basics. It didn't try to overcomplicate it like they did towards the final couple of movies of Paranormal Activity. Now you mentioned the escape room, huge success. Uh, I love both movies, actually. Uh, I mean, Tournament of Champions and the first one. I thought they were both great. You did a great job of combining horror with uh, heart-stopping action sequences. Uh, how was that experience with the first one 
And was it challenging for you as a director uh, or did it sort of come and flow naturally? Great question and thank you for the kind words. Um, I look, I, you know, having been under James Wan and stuff with the Insidious movie and Lee Wanell, those guys are like the masters of those movies. And I felt like just thinking out loud, like I was like, you know, there's so many of these, you know, you've got the Conjuring movies, you've got uh, all these Annabelle movies. It's like, so they have that covered. So it's like, what can I do? you know, that's different. And I, I read the script, the escape room script, and I didn't even know what escape rooms were at the time. So I did a bunch of research and found that they were really immersive and visual, like the rooms change and you discover a map that was behind you on the wall. And so I saw that it could be really cinematic. And so, and then the producers said to me, they want to make a PG 13 movie that does not rely on gore. So I said, okay, this is a great challenge. Like, how can I how can the rooms and the architecture and the experience of the movie be um, a really experiential and uh, yeah, leaning more towards action and tension, you know, the Hitchcockian thing of the bomb under the table. Mm -hmm. So with all that, all, all of that in mind, we developed the rooms and um, yeah. And I learned a lot. I mean, I, I had a great DP uh, and a production designer, my DP, Mark Spicer, who's just a doll who taught me a lot. And then Ed Thomas, who, is just a genius. And so those guys, I really, they propped me up and I learned quite a bit about, you know, how to, the, the sort of muscularity of, of filming in a bigger space and using the techno crane is sort of like the omniscient eye of Minos and, you know, okay, what if we, what if we drop a floor panel and suddenly the, the camera hinges and it does this crazy move. And so it, it, escape room was sort of like my proving ground for like how to use the camera in a way that was much more complicated mm -hmm. um and uh yeah each room was super challenging uh you know we were it was it's a big budget movie idea but with a very small budget so it was super challenging and you know we had we had uh uh, a, uh the library that literally crushes ben that was all practical literally with breakaways and a hydraulic wall you know um uh the billiard room was a a fishbowl set that was built seven feet off the ground with like floor panels that we could pull away and reveal the green screen. Super challenging, like Deborah Ann Wall when she's climbing the ceiling. Yep. You know, where do you put the pick points and how do we make her safe and how you know where we where do we get the camera in if it's a you know if it's four walls because that was the other thing with escape room that was unusual is like usually when you're on a movie set you've got three walls and like the crew's over here but I wanted to be able to just pan and be in that space so it was like how do you build a space that you can hide a crew <laughs> so yeah it was it was amazing i mean and and uh we did we did quite a bit and you know the billiard room was probably the creme de this probably still my favorite sequence but you know and then with with tournament of champions it, it got bigger you know it's like i want to open up the world so like let's crash a train i remember pitching that to sony and and uh that's how we're gonna get into the game like mino said they have the ability to to hijack a New York City yep. subway train, you know? And so, um, so yeah, look, I, I think I've learned a lot. There's a lot of visual effects and things that, and integration that um, now I feel like I could go if I wanted to and make a Marvel movie, you know? Absolutely. Uh, the jigsaw in the brain. For me, Tournament of Champions, that bank scene uh, is the one that, the, the bank floor, the bank room with the lasers, that's what really stands out in my mind. Are you a fan when it comes to directing of the long shot? Like you said, you wanted to pan left and right. 
Are you a big fan when it comes to your directing of the long shot and just keeping the shot going and prolonging it? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the escape room movies are pretty edity and pretty jumpy and pretty cutty. Uh, look, I, I, I love prosaic shots that develop and, you know, characters, you know, doing interesting blocking that really reveals character. Um, and uh, but each each movie kind of predicates itself on you know, the material sort of uh, dictates the way the camera is going to behave. And all, all of that is coming from character psychology. Um, so, but yeah, if I, if I cannot cut, I'd rather not, you know, uh, I certainly, the escaper movies were tough because I, and I, I'm sure some of my actors felt exhausted because there's just so much coverage, you know, it's like Zoe walking to the water fountain. It's like, you're going to do that four different ways, right? Yeah. We're going to, I'm going to do like a close 20 mil, like, you know, slow motion right on her eyes. I'm going to do another one that's like crosshairs is on the on the water she's carrying and so by the end of it they're like really dude another setup you know <laughs> uh, but if i'm doing a drama like i'd love to just hold a, a master and just be just be in it and let the because the at the end of the day the performances are really the best oh, yeah. the best special effect you get you know how comfortable do you feel being a writer yourself directing someone else's screenplay it's interesting you ask that because I'm working on my TV show now and I'm writing it. Uh, it's much easier. Uh, it's much easier to be ca not cavalier, but like you can when you haven't written something, it's much easier to cut stuff. It's much easier to move stuff around. And but when you when you blood, sweat and tears, I'm literally at the end of six months of writing every day and I'm so fried. But, you know, and we have to get our page count down. And so it, but it's hard. And so I actually had another one of our writers in our in our writers room like do the edits and cut down the scripts because it's like part of your soul you know to get it out and nobody like they always say like nobody cares how hard it was to write you know if it doesn't work or if it slows it down you got to cut it and so when i don't write something it's much easier to just go all right let's 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 kick this to the curb uh, absolutely now let's talk about insidious the last key uh again closing out a franchise Got to work with Lynn. <laughs> uh, I'm a franchise killer. <laughs> no, no, no. That's the hardest thing. Eventually, all franchises have to come, well, at least most of them do, to an end. And it's how do you wrap it up? Now, we don't know if it's the end of Insidious. I mean, they can continue making some It's more. not. It is definitely not. Look, I mean, I think Lee, it, the, if, if Lee wants to keep writing them, they're going to keep making them. I thought Patrick Wilson was going to direct one. I, I, I remember reading that somewhere. That would be interesting. Um, I mean, yeah. Patrick Wilson and what he's been with the Insidious movies and then the Conjuring movies. Uh, but going to Insidious, uh, getting to work with uh, Lynn Shay and, you know, working on that film, was that a challenge for you? You mentioned it earlier in the interview. Uh, was that story challenging for you? Uh, it wasn't, well, first of all, I've known Lynn for a long time and we're friends. So, uh, it was, it was super exciting. And I, James Wan was really kind to my first movie in the press. Like he's one of the reasons it kind of got a little traction because he really liked Deborah Logan. So it was super cool. And then I was on the short list for it and I went to Blumhouse and, you know, I remember I, I had like no money left in the bank and I literally did like you know, I made all these storyboards and I did this beautiful concept art because in Lee's original script, which was really cool, it was more like a drama, but it didn't have a demon. And I, I said, guys, you know, 
I hate to say it, but with, and he had a lot of motifs. He had like locks and keys and prison, like a huge penitentiary. And it was a, it was very dark, but he, he wanted to go more towards to his credit, more of a drama. But I, I did the studio thing. I came in, I was like, I, I, I want a demon. This is like, this is an insidious movie. And I had this image that my really talented concept artist friend, Jacob Hare had done called key face demon with this like broken mouth, you know, with a with a, like a shotgun wound to his mouth yeah. that looks like a keyhole, and I remember I remember in the meeting like Jason was like, "Okay, this is really cool," and uh, so then by the time I got the job, I got the new draft and Keyface, this demon, was now in the in the script. But look, it was it was super fun. Uh, Lee One L, it was just amazing to get to know him and you know sit in story sessions with him while he was trying to work on the script and. Um, I learned a lot from him and it was, it was great. The, the irony is like, you know, you go from like 20 days on a, my first movie insidious. I had 30. So suddenly I thought like, wow, this is like the big leagues. Right. And the thing that you don't realize when you're, you haven't made a movie is like, everything is way harder than you think. Like if Lynn Shay's character is going to go touch a, a doorknob and fly back off screen, it, that's a little piece of the script. But it can take a half a day yeah. of shooting, right? Mm -hmm. You have to get the stunt people in and get the stunt in. And, and so uh, it, I think that's been the process for me is like learning how complicated stuff is. How can you simplify? Um, we shot up in Mentryville, which is this really cool like ranch up in uh, uh, northern, just outside of LA, up near like Castaic and Magic Mountain. And uh, it was it was super fun. It was super fun. Talking, um, about, uh, talking about sequels, uh, with Tournament of Champions, oh, sorry, with Escape Room, and then on to Tournament of Champions, you directed the first one and you directed the second one. When you're talking about the Insidious movies, you're directing a sequel and you didn't have a part to play in the prior movies. What is the difference when you directed the original going to direct a sequel as opposed to coming in halfway or towards the end of a franchise and it being asked to direct that? I mean, the, the main thing is like I Insidious was sort of like being a TV director, right? Like I kind of the look of the the world and the look of the of the film the the aesthetic and the way the camera was moving like all that was already done before i got there so i, I in some ways i felt like it was just trying to uh honor what lee and and james had done um but i'll give you i'll give you an anecdote like with with escape room 2 i didn't want to do the same movie again you know and i i had this whole other there's two versions of the movie and i wanted to do an origin story of the villain like because i always I, what i what's tough with the escape room movies is like Minos is this amorphous thing. It's like they're on it's a conglomerate. They're, yeah. It's a conglomerate, but there's no, you don't, there's it's, that's not really satisfying ultimately. And what I wanted to do if I had my druthers was to do like an origin story. Like you start with like a viewing party and you think like, Oh, this is uh, some assholes going to watch a bunch of kids die. And then it gets, you know, they get thrown into the game and you realize that this this young girl who's the puzzle maker's daughter is actually the puzzle maker. And so we, we tried a version of that with, you know, Taylor Russell's character as well. And it was just it didn't work because it was like too much story. We opened with this prologue. We meet the puzzle maker, but his daughter's in this prison in yeah. the cell. And it, like that, that would have been a whole other movie in a way and a very cool movie, I think. 
you know, um, if you think the puzzle maker is actually bad, but he's keeping his daughter, his daughter is actually a maniac and she's quite brilliant. And, uh, you know, if so, but to answer your question, so I tried that, the studio honored it. And then we tested it once at the middle of the pandemic and it didn't oh. test well. And then that was like, okay, let's, let's go back to the drawing board and, uh, you know, so to redo sequels, it. sequels are tough. Cause you, you know, it's like, unless it's like aliens, it's like what sequel is better or on par with the first movie. Um, and you get into this trap of trying to, you have to repeat what, what came before. And so it's, they're really tricky. You know, they're really I, tricky. I'm glad you mentioned the aliens, aliens. Cause I feel the exact same way where I liked aliens sort of a little bit better than alien. I'm glad to know I'm not the only one uh, with the characters that Taylor Russell and Logan Miller played in both escape room movies. Was it always known that you were going to bring them back? Uh, or did you want to leave their characters behind and just build a whole new story for the second one? Yeah, I mean, we we definitely had spitballed a bunch of different ideas um, and, you know, crazy ideas. Like at one point we talked about, like, what if Minos, you know, sub 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 uh, contracts, all these pe people are working on the escape rooms. And they don't know it. Like one guy's making the bolts, another guy's making, you know, the oil that goes into the fire machine. And then they they come together and they realize oh sh shit we're you know we're making escape rooms and so they get thrown so we had a lot of crazy ideas but we kept coming back to like you know Taylor Russell her character Ben they they were so beloved and uh, you know the audience really rooted for them so it just made sense to tell their story you know tell a Zoe revenge story you get to see her come out of her shell you know she's really changed oh, since yeah. the first movie and she, she wants she wants to go back into the thick of it. So it, it just seemed like the right call to, to kind of do that. It's, it's so hard to get an audience to like a character anyway, mm -hmm. you know, in a modern, in a modern movie, you go, you do these focus groups and it's like, well, how did you feel about the second lead? And, you know, and so, and Taylor and, and Logan are just so inherently likable, you know, so. How difficult do you feel it is in today's world to come up with fresh ideas for the horror genre? In a world it, it's, where it's been done, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah, it's 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 really really hard. I mean, I, there's uh, everything's been done, like you said. I think we're really cynical. You know, you can do anything with a camera now. You can even visual effects. So, like I always say, like with the first movie I did, it's less about the image and more about the context. And you know, I can have an old lady's jaw distend uh, ten minutes into a movie, and then the audience is is bored by that by the they've seen it already versus if you start with a grounded medical documentary and then spin it and by the end you're like what what movie am i watching you know <laughs> so um so yeah it is hard i mean I, i'm really excited about the show that i'm doing because it, it you know it it's taken me you know probably a decade to find some subject matter that really i i realize what i grab the thing that i do best i hope the show is as good as i hope it will be is taking real world horror and then turn it on, on its head as a metaphor. And we're doing the same thing now that we did with Alzheimer's disease, but with drug addiction. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's personal to me. I've had family members, I've, I've struggled with my own demons with that kind of stuff. And, um, and it, it, it's similar to Alzheimer's disease. You know, more people are dying uh, this year to opioid uh overdose than coronavirus yep. you know um so it's it's the the next great 
Um, it's been going on. What I feel it's been going on for a while now that I think society has become sort of uh, callous to it, uh, desensitized. Uh, it made the news. It's been making the news, and then COVID hit, and that just dominated yeah. everything else. Uh, when it comes to independent films like Deborah Logan, and then you have your studio films like uh, The Escape Rooms, from a filmmaker's perspective, uh, and the personal aspect that you brought up earlier, just from a filmmaker's perspective, let's put budgets aside, do you enjoy uh, independent making independent films a lot more than big studio films where a lot of times... Decisions have to pass through committee after committee. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been tough. I mean, it's, it's definitely tough and there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, and uh, yeah, and you're navigating, you're, you're navigating a lot of opinions. I mean, I, I, I definitely had the best time making the first movie. And I think it was maybe because I was so naive, you know, and um, but it, it, but it was also something I had written. I'd been a little lazy. Uh, writing is tough for me. I have to, uh, you know, I have to really get myself into a place of deep anxiety to get it done. And so I think I've avoided that for the last couple of years. And I was like, I was taking the easy road, but now I'm back in it and really mining the depths. Uh, and the show that we're doing, I, I'm feeling like creatively for the first time in a long time, really fulfilled because it takes all the stuff that we love about Stephen King and the walking dead and Requiem for a dream. And, but it puts it into the metaphor of addiction. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been really exciting for me creatively. I feel more enervated now than I have in a long time. Um, and, and the scares you, you ask like what's fresh. And I think this is, if we do it right, is going to really hit a nerve for people um, in a very cool way. So let's talk about this, uh, upcoming show uh let's see what you can just of course tell us what you can and not what you can obviously but uh you are the co-showrunner is that accurate uh yes sir it's uh from what you said it's going to be a horror type story yeah i can't say much and I know, I'm probably yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm jinxing myself a little bit, but it, it, it centers around addiction and uh, a small town and um, uh, Darren Aronofsky's company, Protozoa, are producing it. And um, yeah, and it deals, I think I can say just with parental themes, you know, okay. but it but there's yeah, it, it's it's a dry it's a, at its core a drama horror, but it has really amazing psychological scares but it also is going to have a lot of wish fulfillment and a lot of really cool amblin-esque kind of moments too so are you allowed um, to say which network it's going to premiere on or uh, any of that? it'll be with netflix netflix you know okay fingers crossed yeah 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 that's awesome uh so i know you mentioned that you've been busy for the last couple of months writing the scripts you're also directing at least if not all, some of the episodes in this uh, series. Um, so, you know, are you guys done with the filming? Or are you getting started with the filming? Uh, has you know? we, we we are at the point where where we've written six. We're we're writing the seventh episode right now, um, and we're just at that point where we're going to hear whether or not it's going or not. It seems. Uh, fortuitous but you know you never know until 
you're on a plane and even then you hope the check clears you know but uh uh it seems like it's gonna happen awesome. we'll see i mean how different yeah. have you been finding tv work directing and writing for a television show as opposed to a feature film it's been amazing um one of the biggest difference is well first of all i have a, a group of incredibly talented writers who we got to meet with every day on zoom and just talk story and my writing partner gavin heffernan and i we wrote a pilot and then netflix is like this is really really cool write a second episode we wrote the second episode and they're like this is really really cool let's do a writer's room so it's been stages uh but the biggest takeaway for us i think that it's really instructive moving forward is like we spent weeks with the writer's room just talking emotional journeys first mm -hmm. you know what i mean like where the character starts internally and where they end up and before we talked plot because usually when I when I started writing, it was like plot, plot, plot. What happens? What happens? What happens? What's that cool thing? And then the ghost does this, or the car does this. And and here I'm thinking much more about like, no, where where is this? What is the spiritual need of this person? What is their biggest fear? What do they want? Where are they going? You know, how do they interact with each other? And so that's been really in interesting, and it's going to change the way I approach features for sure um start with character and that's ultimately you know i always say this in interviews but horror only works and this is something james used to always say too and going back to spielberg and poltergeist it's like if you care about the characters you're gonna you're gonna be afraid you know Absolutely. and so you have to and it by the way it's really hard now because in the studio system with you know kids on their phones like the first act like if you watch poltergeist that first act is like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, before like sh the shit hits the fan. Yeah. And now it's like you, you you gotta, you know, you're expected to just grab them right away with stuff. And it's like, you don't have the time to lean in and care enough about the characters. And so I really lament that's, that's the tricky thing with studio movies, <clears throat> you know? And if you look at some of the greatest television shows, uh, you know, you mentioned The Walking Dead and other ones, you know, let's take zombies. Let's say the plot's about zombies. That's just a backdrop, okay? You could make uh, that show, the apocalypse, be a pandemic or whatever, but it's the characters, it's the stories, it's it's the journeys that each character has to walk that makes a show a hit or not, okay? Now, people right. fell in love with, uh, you know, horror shows like The Walking Dead because they fell in love with the characters, not because they Absolutely. fell in love with the zombies. Uh, and you said that was sort of a new aspect that you were going to bring into features. As a writer, how challenging is it, instead of worrying about plot, doing character building? Yeah, I mean, it's always, that's always the hardest part, you know. And how to how to make them, because there's always, the, the thing that we always run into um in you know and i'm sure on both sides even on the tv side it's like the likability mm -hmm. you know like how do you make a character likable and i i always say like it's more important to make them understandable you don't have to necessarily like walter white no you know you don't have to understand you don't have to necessarily like uh um you, you know uh brian cox's character in succession uh, he's kind of a monster, but you, you're fascinated by what he's doing. You know what I mean? You're fascinated by this, this family and, and TV has become, it's just, it's, there's so much more nuance in TV. You yeah. know what I mean? You don't have 90 minutes to tell a story. It's like, you can barely just get like the first kind of couple of ideas out. And then they're like, all right, let's, 
you know, sew it back up. But with TV, you can you can have characters that are like this and then break them apart and then bring them back together again. And, you know, and weird pairings that don't necessarily make sense in the real world, but they kind of work, you know, Ozark was another one that just kind of blew my mind. Oh, yeah. Um, and great moments of just horror and tension, you know. Um, so and, you know, it, it's always about a family unit, too. I think that's what the movies that really work in the in the genre space it's like whether and not necessarily a, a a literal family but like you really like that's the thing with like deborah logan like i i wanted a, an older like the, the produce certain producers wanted like a beautiful you know lipstick lesbian and i and i i wanted that verisimilitude you want to feel like these characters are real people yeah. and i got so many, so many people were like you know thanks for just depicting a lesbian that wasn't just about her stripping or yeah. doing her thing you know it's like a grounded kind of take and people want uh, something they can relate to that's that's the bottom line yeah like even like even like the kid what's his name uh who leaves like in the middle of the movie he's just like you know what peace out i'm done with this this crazy lady like yeah. people were like shocked like that that would happen and um and you know and when you're writing it what's really hard is like we're writing we're writing a lot of cops right now and a lot of procedural stuff and you if I'm not a cop, like the only thing I know is the the shows that I've watched, exactly, right? Yeah. So it's like you start, just you start sounding like <clears throat> an episode of Chips, you know. And so, like, how do you how do you make it uh, honest? And, and with writing, yeah. you always I always you have to go to some you have to go to your own shit and the stuff that you're afraid of and like the relationships that are maybe uncomfortable in your life. And you have to kind of go to that and then tap it and then bring it into the material. Absolutely. <laughs> Has this show? been personal for you like you said deborah logan was uh has that been is that what this show has been to you you were part of creating it you're writing it you're directing it does it have the same feel but sort of like the tv version of deborah logan in your heart it does yeah i mean look i i, I lost my mom a couple of years ago she was an addict and you know chain smoking two strokes still smoking you know um, and, uh, and I, I've just been around recovery a lot and I, I, um, I've seen my, some of my friends who just lost their lives because of drug addiction. And, um, and I, I relate to that feeling of like, you're not, you don't feel like you're enough and yeah. whether it's drugs, alcohol, food, you know, sex, like whatever the thing is you have, I think we're, we all on some level now, particularly with like commercialism and consumer culture we're programmed to feel like we're not enough. Yeah. You know, we need something, whether that's likes on a Instagram post or whatever. And um, so with our show, like the idea of addiction, addiction is all consuming, right? And I can get addicted to anything. And so it's, it's a great equalizer. You know, if you go into an AA meeting, you meet stockbrokers and you meet crackheads yep. and they're all there for the same reason you know um absolutely and look life life is short you know i i i'm 43 now and i'm going through my own little existential dreads right now as you caught me and and um you know so so horror i think in a way allows us to to look at that shit and you it, know it's very therapeutic as well it is very therapeutic the I people so. the thing yeah. that surprised a lot of people all around the world, not just in entertainment. When COVID hit, uh, horror movies uh, popularity went up. Really interesting. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> Although I wonder, I like, I, I don't feel like I want to watch a bunch of pandemic movies no, necessarily. No, but, no, uh, no, no. 
well. But yeah, it, it's a bomb. Look, and we're all like, it's going to be interesting once we all finally turn the corner, like how much psychological damage we've like, how, you know, every day on my phone, it's like death, virus, death, and, you know, yeah. it, it's got to be, it takes a toll. Yeah, it takes a toll. It takes a toll, you know. So, Adam, I want to yeah. thank you so much uh, for giving us this time and sharing all the stuff that on um, all the successes that you've had in your career. And you're just getting started. And we're I'm looking forward to watching this television show uh, when it comes out and seeing your future feature movies as well. You're a brilliant writer. You're a brilliant director. The success just proves that. So thank you so much. Do you have any final thoughts you want to share with the audience before we go? You know, I just just keep watching. I, I Look, I, I'm so appreciative that you asked me and you kind of got me out of my comfort zone a little bit. And I love your shirt, by the way. It's much too vulgar to play a power, though. Um, but yeah, no, look, I, I'm really I'm just grateful to talk with you tonight. And uh, so yeah, we... keep keep supporting the genre you know this it's the greatest genre there is i mean I, we have such so much love in the community and um and, and you're, you're doing a great job and a great service for all the fans so thank you thank you adam i want to thank adam robitel i want to thank all of our viewers everybody on behalf of adam and myself stay safe and stay walking good night everybody mm -hmm.